Well, as you're finding your way to your seat, why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them that you love them in the name of the Lord this morning. Amen. Well, we're, we're so glad that you are here today. And uh, it's, it's very exciting to be able to uh, share the word of the Lord with you this morning. Um, we're coming off of that Easter season, but I was, I was almost more pumped for today than I was last week. But I mean, I was pretty excited for last week. And last week was just a fantastic service. It was a fantastic weekend. We were just so excited about what God has done. But I believe he's not done. He's not finished. And I don't know if you saw that in the shirts. He is not finished. And there's still more to be done. And so today, uh, I just have a message. And, and I'll be honest, it, it was a little bit of a struggle for me as I was gathering my thoughts together this week. And, and I realized I was talking to someone about it. And it wasn't because I didn't know what to say. It wasn't that I was struggling and what I felt like God was leading in my heart. But rather, it was more there was so much to say in so little time. And so I promise you I'm not going to keep you, I could go on hours and hours today, but I won't do that. Um, I, won't, I won't do that this morning, but if you would love, I would love to share more of my heart. But today, we're going to be looking at the word in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, starting in verse number 1. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather here together in your presence and in this place, God. And God, we ask that, Lord, our hearts would be open to your word, that, God, we would, would hear it, and that, Lord, we would respond to it, that we would, just, we would digest it as well, God. God, that we would hear it today, God. God, I ask that, Lord, you would use me, because, Lord, without you, I am truly nothing. And we do this for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. I was in college, and for those who don't know, I actually went to college. I was in Florida. I spent a season of my life in Florida. And one thing that I had always wanted to do when I, when I said I was going to school in Florida, one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to learn how to surf. Um, my experience up to that point was going down to the shore over the summer and not, I'm not, I love the shore, I love it, I love going to Ocean City and Wildwood, they're great places, but the, it's not really known for its surfing, you know, surfing, you, you don't go there to surf, you go there to boogie board, right, yes, and that was my experience up to this point, I, I had known how to boogie board, I was pretty proficient in the art and in the skill and of boogie boarding, but surfing was a whole nother level, and I'm sure there's probably other levels between boogie boarding and surfing, but anyway, it was a long weekend, I, I believe, and a couple of my friends had decided to go to one of my friend's houses who um, was by the coast, um, of Florida. I was in central Florida, but we were going to the coast for a long weekend. And so he said, hey, would you like to come? I said, absolutely, I'd love to come. I want to get away from here. He said, great, we're going to go surfing. And I was like, yes, this is it. And I, I was like, all right. And 
so we had, we had gone and we had driven over there. And uh, again, I had never gone surfing. I had no idea, you know. I had no idea what I was in for. I had no idea what to expect. There's talking about, hey, man, did you know that, that, that the, the surf is like head high? And I'm like, I, okay, sure, great. You know, I now know that's like five feet high, okay? And if you're not in the surfing world, that's pretty high, actually. I mean, you're talking about waves that are five foot high, and you're going to actually try to surf those. And I didn't even know how to surf those, and yet I was going to try to surf those. And so we got in the car, we were driving, we were pumped up, we were excited. They're talking about all these things. They had pump-up music, okay? That's how serious they were about surfing. It was myself and two of my friends. And so we get there, and we had to rent a couple surfboards, and we're driving in my little, I had a little car in college, and uh, don't we all in college? And so we, the surfboards weren't even fitting in the car, so they were hanging out the windows, and like I'm praying as we're going from the surf shop to the beach that there's no cars nearby, because I'm like, I don't want to hit anything, and these surfboards are like hanging out my windows, I don't know what I'm doing. So we finally get there. We suit up, and we're sitting on the beach, and it hits me, like, this is it. I'm about to go surfing. I'm about to go surfing. And so I looked to my friends, and both of them had grown up surfing. Both of them had grown up by the water. My one friend, he had a, his house was on, on water, and so when they were going to buy the house, every house that they were looking at, he would go to the water, and he, would, he, would, uh, he had a fishing pole, and he'd go try to catch a fish. And it was at the house that they bought was where he caught a fish, and he said, this is where we can live. So he grew up on the water. So that was, that was their experience. And so I looked to them, I go, hey, guys. I go to my friend, they're Andrew and Miles. They're two of my great friends to this day, you know, uh, Andrew's a missionary in, in Africa and Miles. He's uh, doing great things, uh, documenting what God is doing in, in, in South America and Central America. So they're both doing great things for the King of God. They're two of my great friends. In this moment, though, they weren't two of my great friends. Because I looked at them, I go, Andrew, I'm like, hey, man, you know I haven't surfed yet. What do I do? And in this moment, I ask him, what, what do I do? Thinking that he was going to impart on me some wisdom that would give me the skills necessary to navigate and to surf these five-foot-high waves. And Andrew simply looks at me. He goes, paddle out, man, and catch a wave. And then he grabs his surfboard, and he runs off into the water. Now, I'm in shock. I'm like, Thinking like I'm, I'm re, you know, going over what he just said to me. I'm like, wait a second, pa-. I'm trying to find the, the 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 nuggets of truth in that that are going to help me. And by the time I realize like there's nothing there, I go to turn to Miles who was on my left, okay, and I go, Ma-, and I look and he's not there because he's right behind Andrew running into the water, and I'm like, oh no. Now at this point, I could have done one of two things. I could have just sat on the beach and just wait for them, or I could have decided to. Um, be foolish and grab my surfboard that I don't know how to use and paddle out and catch a wave. And so, guess what I did? I did the wise thing that any 19 or 20-year-old college student would do. They grabbed their surfboard and they went to paddle out. Now, I'll tell you, surfing is hard on its own. Paddling out is an entirely different and more, even, I think even more difficult of a challenge. I didn't know that. 
To see, now I know there's different techniques like doing a, a, a tuck dive or a turtle roll or a duck dive and a turtle roll that will help you get past the surf, get you past the crashing waves. I didn't know that. So as I am paddling on this surfboard, I don't know how I'm steering, I don't know what I'm doing, these waves are coming over me and they are bombarding me and I am getting tossed and turned, I'm getting wrecked. I think I'm going to die. I'm like, this is it. There's nobody in the water. My friend, I don't know where there are. The current is taking me, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet down the coast. I don't, I have no idea where our stuff is at. And I am just floundering trying to stay afloat. I think that's how you and I are at times when it comes to this coming generation. Let that settle for a second. I think far too often we say, hey... Paddle out, catch a wave, and then we go on and do our own thing. And this generation is just standing here going, what? What do you mean paddle out, catch a wave? And so we expect them to navigate the waves and the surf and the waters of life, and they're getting thrashed around, and they're getting beat down by these waves, and we're out here just paddling, just saying, paddle out, catch a wave, and come join me. Church, I'm here to tell you that we can't afford to just say paddle out and catch a wave to this generation. We can't afford to just say, just read your Bible and then expect them to figure it out on their own. Church, there's something important about the transition of the gospel message from one generation to the next. And you know who understood that? Probably better than most was Paul. Paul understood that. Maybe here today and saying, Pastor, that's some harsh words, but they're truth words. See, a lot of us, we have a hands off approach. Hey, just, you know, just when you get here, you get here. You know, I'll throw stuff at you and expect it to, to be enough. Some of you are saying, Well, I've already done my time. Pastor, I've already done. Can I tell you, there's still lost and dying people in this world. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as my heart is beating, I'm not done. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that none would perish. Church, we're not done. Some of us would say, let someone else do it. What if that person is your responsibility? What if that person is your responsibility? Are you willing to just say, let someone else do it if there's no one else to do it? And some of you here, I know you're working hard. You're in the fight. And I would just simply ask, humbly ask, can we do more? And I believe we can. Because there's a generation, there is a world on the line. So Paul, he's writing here to 2 Timothy, or in 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy, the young follower that Paul has invested in dearly. Paul has taken Timothy on journeys. They have traveled together. Even as he is writing these letters, he is near death and he is spending some of these critical last moments of his life to invest in Timothy. I believe that Paul understood the the necessary, the critical importance of the passing, the transmission of the gospel message from one generation to the next. And so he writes here in 2 Timothy, and we just start off, we read it this morning. He says... Be strengthened. Be strengthened. Can I tell you, church, what strong words of encouragement to use in this hour and in this day? Church, 
Just as Paul has said to Timothy, be strong, be strengthened. We need to speak these words into this generation. Generation, you need to be strong. You need to be strengthened. Strengthen how though? Strengthen, how do, how do I be strong? I love what Paul says. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus I love Isaiah 40. He says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to be sharing these words. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Generation, you need to be strong. Not in your own strength. Not in your own power, not in your own gifts, not in your own talents, not in your own understanding, but be strong in the Lord. Your strength is going to fail you. Your might will fail you. Your understanding, your knowledge, your gifts, your talents, they will all fail you. But church, can I tell you, there is one who will not fail you. There is one who will never let you down. There is one who is always, he is the perfecter, the author of our faith, and his strength will endure to the end be strengthened be strong in his grace church can I tell you his grace is enough his grace is sufficient I love what Paul says he says my grace this is God speaking to to Paul here he says my grace is sufficient for you Paul for my power is made perfect in weakness and then Paul writes therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that my the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. His grace is enough. Paul is near the end of his life. He wrote this, he wrote this earlier in his lifetime in Corinthians. This wasn't one of those things, hey, Timothy, be strong in the Lord. It wasn't one of those bumper sticker little answers like, hey, you know, here's an answer for you. But this is something that Paul endured his life. This is something that Paul experienced day in, day out. And he could personally attest to, listen, you're going to be weak. You're going to have to endure. But if you rely on his strength, his grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. Church, we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His grace is is enough. In verse 2, he continues, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love that Paul addresses this because he understands that, hey, Timothy, this is a message that you can't just hold on to yourself, but you are going to have to pass this on as well. He's clearly communicating that, Timothy, you can't hold on to this yourself. This can't just be for you, but you have to then go and share it with others. You have to go and impart these words to other people. You must be a messenger. Even now, it is critical that you understand the importance of sharing and communicating the gospel message. We need a generation that understands that once they have heard, have taken hold of this gospel message, the gospel truth, the word of the Lord, they must now then go and share and communicate it with others as well. We need to share it with others as well. And then in verse 3, he says, 
share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I love that he uses the word share. Other translations will say, join with me. Join me. I just imagine Paul saying, hey, come alongside of me. Share with me. Join me. All those things to me bring the imagery, bring the image of someone who's saying, come alongside with me. Let me put my arm around your shoulder. Let's walk together in this. Not, hey, you should do this while I do that. Not, hey, I'm going to be over here. Can you take care of that? Or I'm going to take care of this, but you can handle that. But he's saying, share, join with me, come together with me. Let's do this together. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Earlier, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. I think we have to ask ourselves this. Is my life worth following? Is my life worth being imitated? Are the things that you and I doing worth being replicated? How does this generation see your life? Moms, dads, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, whatever. If you have young people who are looking up to you throughout the week, they're seeing what you do. Are the words that you're saying, are they worth repeating? Are the, is the content that you're filling your life worth, is it, is it worth them watching as well? The things that we consume, do we want them to consume it as well? I think far too often we have this approach, do as I say, not as I do. But Paul is very clear, be imitators as me, not as I read the Bible. He doesn't say be imitators as me as I preach a good message. But he says, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. We need to be imitators. We need to be followers of Christ and tell, imitate me. But that means that we have to live lives that are worth imitating. Are the things that we want, are these things that we want to impart on this generation, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we listen to, the things that we consume, are these things that we want to impart on this generation? Because the things that we do now are the things they will live for tomorrow. What we do in moderation, they will do in excess. And what our generation tolerates, this next generation will embrace. Can I say that again? What this generation tolerates, this generation will embrace. How you and I live our lives is critical to the passing and transmission of the gospel message to this next generation. The things that you and I live, will det- live for will determine the legacy that you and I leave. Paul is saying, do just as I do. As I follow Christ, follow me. As I navigate this life and come join me in this life. I'm not just saying cool words. I'm not saying trendy things. But I am living this life. Come with me. Imitate me as I follow Christ. Are our lives worth being imitated? Are the things that we do worth being replicated? So verse 4, it says this, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
A soldier, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Soldiers have to sacrifice. Soldiers have to let go. Soldiers have to relinquish certain things. They have to realize they can't just partake of anything. Church is going to cost us something. It's going to cost you and I something to be a follower of Christ. It's going to cost something to invest in this generation. It requires sacrifice. We have trivial things, and, and, and we, we go to the dollar store, and we go and buy things. We buy little knickknacks and something. If we lose it, there's no consequence. If I go to the dollar store today, I mean, sometimes you, you spend a little more than a dollar. It's like 99 cents, but then it's like $2. Like, what? And so we go to the dollar store, and we buy these things, and, you know, it's like, okay, this is cool, whatever. And, and I lose it or it breaks. Am I shocked? No. Now, if I go to the mall and I go and buy something really expensive, same item, just more expensive, and it breaks, I'm crushed. I'm like, I want my money back. Here's my receipt. Why don't we care about this? It didn't cost anything, so it's not worth anything. This over here, it costs something, so now it has worth. If our faith doesn't cost us anything, it's probably not worth anything, church. See, far too many of us are in it for our own convenience. We're in it for our own comfortability. We're in it for what I can gain out of it. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Oh, but I got to do, oh, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just going to, oh, yeah, I'm I'm in it. Oh, but I got to, listen, that's just a little inconvenient for me. So, or, oh, yeah, yeah, I like like coming to church, but now they're asking me to do something I'm just not comfortable with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass. It's not about your convenience. It's not about your comfortability. It's not what you get out of it. The Christian life is not about self-gain. Since when did it become all about you and I? Since when did it come out? Us. If we were to take a, an outside view of history, and we were to take from the very beginning to this very moment and look at it from the perspective of a movie. Now, I love movies. Anyone else enjoy movies? I do. Um, and, and they're great. And I have a friend in college who um, it was, was decided to pursue acting. And in fact, they are actually in L.A. They're, they're pursuing that career and they're, they're living there and uh, pursuing it. And they had an opportunity to be an extra in a movie. That's pretty exciting. And so we were all excited for them. We were all super ecstatic for them. And so we had decided that when this movie came out, we were going to wait until we could get it on, like, DVD. DVD, you guys know what that is? Some of you don't, but some of you do. That's crazy. I still, I know what VHSs are, okay? I know what those are. I know what eight-track tapes are, okay? But it's DVD. So it came out on DVD, and we had a viewing party. And so we're all excited. We're like, oh, man, this is exciting. This is great. We're going to see our friend in this movie. It was a major motion picture. We're like, oh, this is great. And so we're watching it, and, and, and we're waiting. And, like, we're like, okay, you know, the movie's okay, you know. So we're just like, and all of a sudden he goes, there it is, there it is, there it is. We're like, oh, okay. So, like, he rewinds. He goes, look, there's me. I'm like, and, you know, we're all like, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and, and he's like, no, look. And he rewinds in slow motion. And, like, you can see, like, the ear of his right side of his face. And like, you can't even see the whole ear. You can see like half of it. But that's how you and I are in life. 
We make life, if we were to look at it as a movie, we're like, this is all about me. I'm the star of the movie. But if we were to actually look at it from a grand point of view, we'd realize that we wouldn't even be a speck in the credits. Life is all about almighty God, that life points to him. It's about him, his redemption, his grace, his story, his love, and his power. You and I are just along for the ride. We're just extras. We don't even get a half a year. We're a speck in the story of life, the story of God. It's not about us. I don't know. Have you heard of these things called love languages? You know, these love languages, it's, it's like gifts and, and quality time. And they're nice things, right? You know, some of us say like, oh, my love language is gifts. And, and so, you know, that's like their incognito way of saying, give me gifts, give me presents. Or, you know, my, my, my thing is quality time. So, people, you know, I like to spend time with people or words of affirmation, and, you know, build me up, encourage me. Can I tell you what the love language of the Christian life is? It is die to self. Die to self. It's not about what I get out of it, but it's all about dying to self. Jesus said this. He said, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love, not just the good feely love. We know what love is here at Bethel. It's disinterested benevolence. Disinterested benevolence. Love, love as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love these disciples? He is saying this in the upper room right before he walks to his death. So he's saying, love one another as I have loved you and I'm going to show you how I love you by willingly laying down my life. It is die to self. It is not about self-gain. Jesus gave his life so that we could receive. Because we have received, now you and I must give so that others may receive. It is not about you and I, but it's all about him. In verse 5, it says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I like rules as long as they fit my needs. Anyone else? I was the kid who, when you played basketball, I'd call foul if I didn't make the shot. I'm just being honest, okay? I was that kid. I'll be honest, okay? You know, it's confession time. Just honest, you know? Uh, hey, I, I, I would just chuck a shot up, and, and it would hit the rim. Half the time would be air ball, okay? I, wasn't the, I had a dream to be an NBA player, and then God said, you're going to be short, and that was about it. So, but I would play games, and, and I would, if it wasn't meeting my need, if it wasn't meeting my expectation, I had no problem in changing the rules. I had no problem in trying to make the rules fit my standard. The problem is, is that my ways aren't the greatest ways. My understanding isn't the greatest understanding. Not just in basketball, but in life. And I have a, I have a small inkling that your ways and your understanding aren't the greatest ways in understanding, but his ways and his understanding are greater and higher than our understanding and our ways. We can't just change the rules. In fact, what are the rules? The rules are the word of God. The word of God is how we need to live our life. Just as an athlete competes and follows the rules that are established, so you and I must follow the word of God as we navigate life. 
later in this letter to Timothy, Paul will write, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The critical and utmost importance is the word of God. It's not just a book. It's not just a story. It is the living, breathing word of God. And it is speaking today. You got to know the world. You got to know the word. Just like you have to know the rules. If I'm playing basketball and I decide to take the ball and run with it without dribbling, the ref's going to blow his whistle. And I can't go to him and say, oh, I didn't know I I couldn't do that. I do know that, but I would try. I didn't know I could do that. He's going to say, too bad. Learn next time, you know, figure it out. You got to know the word. Can I tell you? Never have we been in a generation, in a day and age technologically, where the word of God is so easily accessible. Never have we. It's amazing. You're on your phones right now. Some of you are actually on the word. Some of you are texting somebody and some of you are playing games. It's okay. We know. But the word of God is there too, okay? That's what counts, right? It's right there. This generation, they navigate in their schools. They Seriously, they can't. Students, can we just have a... Why? You're texting me during class. Are you not learning anything? I just need to get that out. I was just... You know, I'll be sitting in class and I'll get a text and be like, Hey, what's up? And I'll be like, aren't you in math? Yeah, we're not doing anything. What? Never has the word of God been so easily accessible, and yet never have we had a generation so biblically illiterate. That's a scary thing. If it's the word of God upon which they need to build and establish and follow their lives, and they don't know it, how can then they compete? How then can they live their life if they don't know it? How can they be a follower of Jesus if they don't understand it, if they don't know it? Can we talk about something real quick? Culture has this this new thing, and and it's growing and growing. It's this whole idea that I'm going to live my life based on how I feel. How scary and dangerous that is. Have you, take a moment and think about your feelings this past weekend. I mean, how chaotic of a roller coaster was that? And imagine living your life by that every single day. And yet culture is telling us to live our life based upon what we feel. If I feel it all the time, then it must be truth. Ooh. based upon how I feel. If you feel this way or that way, that is the direction you need to go. That's what the world is telling this generation. And that if you fight these feelings that you are not being genuine with yourself, you're not being authentic with yourself, they're saying that your feelings are what? define you. Can I tell you who defines you? It's not your feelings. It's not man. It's not a name, but it is God almighty who defines you. Our feelings live by how you feel. We make our choices. We make decisions based upon how I feel and not what I know. Living life based upon my rules now. When I live based upon how I feel, then I live based upon my rules. But it's not my rules. It's not my way. It's his way. It's his words. And it's his truth. 
truth. I really wanted to say the line from the Easter drama. I'm not, I'm not. I really was for a moment. If you've seen our Easter drama, you know that there's a line that, that Pilate says about truth, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But truth, we, ha- we have this, this, feel, this, this idea, and, and there's a scripture that says, the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. But we, all, we, we tend to, to leave out the little caveat that comes before that. Yes, the truth will set you free, but what is the truth, and how do you, I know you know the truth. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free, but that only happens if you abide in his word. You might know the word. I'm not concerned if you know the word. I'm concerned if you abide in the word. It's not enough just to be able to say what it says, but you need to live it. You need to breathe it. You need to abide in the word of God. We need to partake of it. See, what's amazing is is that the word of God constantly says that, you know, if we partake of the word of God, we will never hunger or thirst. And I love that. And it's not just because that it will meet all of our needs, but also when we truly partake of the word of God, it will meet all of our needs. But also, just as much, all the other things will no longer be savory to us. Because we have tasted of the word. We have tasted of the truth. And this is meeting my needs and all those other things are now unsavory to me. But we need to abide in the word. And so in verse 6 he says this. It is a hard working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Church, can I tell you it's hard? It's not easy. It's difficult. It is the hard working farmer who ought to have the first of the crops. If you're in this for the quick and easy, if you're in it for the get rich, if you're in it for the easy one, two, three steps, and I'm out of here, and this isn't for you. This is a life calling. This is a life journey. This is not a sprint. It is a marathon. We have to get involved, and that means we have to get our hands dirty. I don't know what your experience is with, with planting seeds, planting trees, and, and getting involved in nature and stuff. Mine's pretty extensive. Mine dates back to when I was in third grade, and it, it stays about there in third grade. But I'm an expert in it now. I was in third grade, and we had this little project, and, and we got little cups. And we filled them with dirt. It's like little cups of dirt, and you're looking at it like it's a cup of dirt, right? And so we're looking, we got these cups of dirt, and the teacher's like, here you go. And we're just holding it like, what are we doing with this? And so finally, the teacher's like, here you go. And she handed us all this little seed. And we're like, ooh, you know, like, you know, I read Jack the Beanstalk. I'm thinking, like, I'm going to get a beanstalk overnight. It's going to be fantastic. So we plant the little seed in the cup of dirt. And we water it, and like, you know, it's, it's like a little Dixie cup, and you know, a little seed, and who knows, you know, it's probably found on the ground or something. And, you know, we're all like looking at the, like, like, just captivated by it. And we're looking at it, and so we put it on the windowsill, and we put our names on it, and so then like the sun is coming to hit it, and we all leave that day. And like, I bet you like all of us were thinking the same, like, I can't wait to get my beanstalk tomorrow. I can't wait to climb the beanstalk and meet those giants and get the goose that lays the golden egg. I think I'm mixing up stories now at this point. But we were all excited about it. So we come in the next day and we run in and we're like, ooh. And like, we're looking, there's just cups of dirt. 
you know, the one kid is like, I think you took our seeds out. And he digs his seed out. No, it's still there. And, you know, you know, just ruined his project. Um, but that was, the de- that was what we did every single day. We, we, go, we go home and, like, we check our dirt before we, we left. And then, like, we come back in the next morning. We go, oh, you know, where is it, you know? And, but, like, the teacher just say, you just need to keep working. You need to keep watering. And it will do the work. You might not see it, but it's growing. But if you disrupt it, if you neglect it, if you don't do what you have to do, then the seed won't do what it's going to do. But you have to do your part. And so I remember that first day, we walk into class, and one kid, oh, I can't stand that kid. He, he always got everything first, and his was the one that sprouted first. You got to be, come on. You know, at least give me a chance here, God. Like, and, and, you know, everyone is, like, crowded around, and, like, kids are pushing each other. And it's just this little, like, green blade. I mean, it could have been, like, a little green piece of paper that he stuck there. I don't know. I still question it. But as sure enough, as the days go by, you're seeing little pieces of, of, of plant. I don't even know what kind of plant it was. But little green leaves coming up from it. And we were seeing the beauty of the seed. But it required us to do work. Just as a farmer, hardworking farmer, who ought to have the first share of the crops. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about sowing and seeds. Jesus actually spent a whole teaching on it. In Mark 4, we find that he talks about the parable of the sower and, and, the, different so- and the different seeds. And, and you know that story. He's, he's, he's throwing it out there. He's casting the seed, and, and then he then goes on and continues, and he talks about, you know, what are parables. And then he comes here to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. He says this, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The church, the kingdom of God, God's church, not this church, but God's Church, eternal church, is as if you and I were to scatter seed. And he sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. And he knows not how. Well, what's the seed? What's the seed that he's, what's the seed that he's sowing here? How, what, what seed is he sowing here? Well, we know that because Jesus answered our question earlier when he explains the sower and the different soils. Because he said that the seed is the word of God. When you and I sow the word of God in this generation, he will do the work. We can't explain it. We can't understand it. We can't fathom it. But when we do our part, which is to sow the word of God into this soil, into this generation, he will do a great work. We're called to plant and sow seeds. So I gotta ask you, church, what are you sowing? Because what you are sowing will determine what you reap. What you're sowing will determine what you reap. If I leave here today and you're, you find me at Walmart and I have some apple seeds in my hand and you go, oh, are you planting apples? I say, no, I'm going to grow some oranges. You're going to be looking at me like you're, you, you need some more stuff. You know, let's go take care. Let's go call the doctor real quick. Right? If I go... And I go and I plant apple seeds and I spend all the time and I am 
you know, raking and tilling and working the land. Those are farm words, right? Yeah. And I'm doing it and I'm watering it and I'm using all the different fertilizer stuff that you're allowed to use and, and the green thumb, like I'm the, you know, the green giant or whatever. And I am working these apple seeds. Guess what? Doesn't matter how much I might want. Doesn't matter how hard I work. Doesn't matter how hard I try. I'm never going to have an orange tree. What you reap is what you sow. You might say, I want to I wanna reap love, but all you're doing is sowing hate with your language and with your words and the way that you bring one another down. It doesn't matter how much you want to reap love. If you're not sowing love, you're never going to see that. We can say that we want to reap a generation for Jesus, but if we're not sowing the word of God in them, we're never going to see it happen. Church, I'm tired of us saying we want to reap this, but we're not sowing it. Tired. We got to sow the word of God in this generation. That's the way it happens. We don't have to sow good thoughts. We don't have to sow good morals. We have to sow the truth, the word of God. We're not trying to sow self-help tips. I'm not going to sow, oh, you're going to feel okay later. I'm not trying to sow, make you feel better. I need to sow the word of God. And when I sow the word of God, God will do the work and he will reap a generation for him. Throughout Paul's letters to Timothy, there's this idea that he includes and he keeps saying, guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit. Timothy, guard it. Cling to it. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Don't let something take it away from you. Guard it with all of your life. Guard the good deposit. What is the good deposit that Paul is talking about? He's talking about the word of God. The one thing that will endure to the end. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God is everlasting. Timothy, you need to guard the good deposit. This generation, you need to guard the word of God. You need to cling on to this thing. You need to abide in it. You need to live by it. You need to live it. You need to guard it with your heart. Cling to it. Never let it go. Guard the good deposit. But church, how can they guard something if we don't entrust it to them? How can they cling to it if we never let them grab hold of it? How can they continue forward if we don't invest in them? Church, I believe one of the greatest investments you and I can make is not in stocks, it's not in property, it's not in cars. We all know cars are a terrible investment, by the way. In case you didn't know that, cars are a bad investment. Um, But it's not in materials, it's not in buildings, it's not in programs, it's not in ministry. It's in people. And one of the great investments that you and I can make are in our students and our children. I'm going to ask if Jacob, if he can come up, if he can just play. And I'm closing now, and so now you're all listening in. Okay, he's closing. One of the greatest investments that you and I can make is in this generation. Because this generation is what is going to continue on. 
This generation is what we'll be able to invest in the next generation and then the next and the next. Our finances, they can only go so far, but they're going to fail. Our buildings, they'll, they'll fall apart. But people, this generation, they're going to keep going. They have an eternity after this life. The greatest investment I believe that you and I can make for the kingdom of God is to invest in people. And who better than this next generation that is so receptive and ready and hungry. They're eager. They're sitting on the shores ready to learn about how to surf. But they don't need you to say paddle out and catch a wave. They need you to show them. They need you to walk with them. To paddle with them. To go through the turbulence of life day in and day out. To say, imitate me as I follow Christ. How can we do this? We need to be abiding in the word, church. Now more than ever, we, you and I, we need to abide in the word of God. We need to spend time here listening, learning, gleaning from, digesting, letting it speak to us. Let it move within our lives. It's not just enough to be able to know it or quote it, but we need to abide in it. We need to teach the word. We need to teach the scriptures. We need to teach what God has said, not what I say. Far too many of us are trying to teach what my words are, teach my way of life, teach my understanding of things, but it's not about your understanding or your ways or your knowledge or your skills or your gifts, but it's all about His word. Is that what you're teaching? We need to be teaching the word, and then we need to be living the word. I think one of the greatest dangers to the church has been those who say they're all about this, but their life does nothing of that sort. You want to know why the church, the world has a problem with the church? It's because there's too many of us who say this, but are so far removed from it. We need to be living the word. Imitate me as I follow Christ. And if you're not following Christ, don't you dare. Because you're doing so much more harm. You're doing so much more damage than you could ever imagine. You need to live the word. And all this is great. But if we're not in a position in our students and in our children's lives for them to see it and hear it, then all we're doing is saying paddle out and catch a wave. We need to abide in the word, we need to teach the word, and we need to live the word. But we need to do it alongside this generation. We need to do it alongside this rising group of young people. They're ready now. Sure, they're immature at times. Sure, they're going to make mistakes. Sure, they're not perfect, but you and I aren't perfect. But as we walk through the ups and downs of life, we can show them what it means to be a follower in the midst of the valleys and the mountaintops and everywhere in between. Show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. But in order to do so, we need to put ourselves in a position to where they can receive it. 
You and I, we need to walk with them. We need to journey with them. We need to pour into them. There are students, there are young people, there are children in this room, in this building, in this community that are looking for us to share with them the truth, the Word of God. We can't afford to mess this up. We can't afford to make a mistake here. There's a generation on the line, church. This message, it's, it's it's a great message, sure. But it means nothing if we don't take it and do something with it. If you and I, if we just say, mm, that's good, okay, and then we go about business as usual, there's a generation on the line. We can't afford to mess this up, church. We have an opportunity to continue what God has called us to do. Just like every head bow, I close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we just ask that, Lord, as we have heard your word today, that, God, it would resonate within our hearts. That, God, we would be a part of the the transition of the gospel message from this generation to the next generation. God, that we would make ourselves available, that we would abide in your word, that we would teach your word, and that we would live your word for your glory, and that we would then impart this word on this generation. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the Lord.